Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, July 28, 2019. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, one of the great things about living in America is that we can make whatever laws we want, right? We have the freedom to vote and elect representatives that will put laws that will do us proud. And maybe some other laws that aren't so great, but we have them on the books anyway. Here's, here's some crazy laws that are still um, on the books here in the United States. Did you know, in Fairbanks, Alaska, it's illegal to serve alcohol to a moose, Probably because a moose can drink us under the table, and then you never know what's going to happen. So uh, just to be safe. In Arizona, it's illegal uh, for your donkey to sleep in a bathtub. Get it a proper bed, folks. Come on. Take care of your pets. Uh, In Colorado, it's illegal to put your couch on the porch. Any ideas why? Because college students light them on fire. That's why we can't have nice things, people, right? In Idaho, cannibalism is against the law, as it should be, right? Right? Except, it says, under extreme life-threatening conditions as the only apparent means of survival. Now, should we be bothered that they wrote that caveat in? Or that Idaho is the only state that outlaws cannibalism in this country? I don't know. In French Lick Springs, Indiana, a 1939 ordinance is still on the books that decrees all black cats must wear bells around their necks on Friday the 13th. Just so you don't get caught off guard, you know, if one happens to cross your path. Uh, In Massachusetts, it's against the law to dance to the national anthem. Even if Beyonce's laying down a slick groove, singing it, nope, do not dance. Uh, In New Jersey, bulletproof vests are legal... Unless you're committing a crime, then it's illegal to wear one. So, uh, bank robbery, super illegal in New Jersey. And it's especially illegal if you rob a bank with a bulletproof vest on. Just so you know. Uh, In Ohio, you need to have a license to kill a fly within 160 feet of a church. All God's creatures got a place in the choir. That's what the song says, right? And in Tennessee, it's against the law to share your Netflix, HBO Go, or Hulu password with anyone not in your family. So there. Yeah. We crazy Americans, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure in most of these cases, even though it's against the law, people aren't being arrested or held accountable for not complying. And if I dare be so bold, you could say it's kind of like the fourth of the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, keeping the Sabbath. We know it's there, but for the most part, we don't really follow it, do we? I mean, unless, of course, you're Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby, they're closed on Sundays to give their employees a Sabbath rest. But I know it's a complicated situation, right? That's why I'm starting a three-week series entitled 24-6, Rediscovering the Sabbath. Right? The Ten Commandments tell us, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And, and if we're being completely honest, most, if not all of us, including us pastors, struggle with keeping a Sabbath. So I've decided to 
grab the moose by the horns, so to speak, with no alcohol involved whatsoever, and tackle the problem head on. Today we'll look at what the Sabbath actually is. Next week we'll examine how Jesus dealt with the Sabbath, and we'll finish on August 11th by looking at some practical steps that maybe we can start incorporating into our own lives to have more of a Sabbath experience for us. I picked up uh, the catchy title, 24-6, from a book by Dr. Matthew Sleeth entitled, 24-6, A Prescription for a Happier, Healthier Life. Dr. Sleeth comments that the Sabbath has an opportunity to have a profound effect on our lives. And how could it not? Think of it this way. Sabbath is one day a week, 52 weeks a year. For the average human, that amounts to 11 years of your lifetime. 11 years of Sabbath. 11 years is all. If you take 11 years of anything away from a person's life, can you imagine 11 less years of sleeping or of working or job experience? Whatever it may be, you remove 11 years and that will dramatically change your life. So with the advent of electricity, time has now taken on a new meaning. In fact, we're now living in the first 24-7 society. Just think about this. 200 years ago, every city established their own time by measuring the height of the sun at noon. Then in 1880, around there, trains began forcing vast areas of the United States to group into time zones. Historians struggle to reconcile one ancient calendar with another. Did you know that the ancient Egyptians uh, had a year that was marked by three seasons... And each season was three months long, and each week was ten days long. The Roman calendar of 46 B.C. had 445 days in the year. Our current calendar has how many? 365.25. Got to get that leap year thrown in there, right? The Jewish calendar goes on lunar cycles, so it contains about 360. You can start to see how that would get confusing, right? If everyone's kind of had their own sense of time. In the 1990s, a British study for the British Council, Dr. Richard Wiseman recorded how fast people walked in cities around the country, right? And he used that uh, walking as a way of gauging a city's pace of life. Well, did you know he discovered that faster-paced cities had higher incidences of coronary artery disease. They weren't more healthy, they were less healthy. And then they redid uh, Dr. Wiseman's study recently, and they found the same results, but that the speed of walking has increased by 10% across the globe. We're moving faster and faster, friends, and we are not nearly as healthy as we should be. And how many of us wish there were just one or two more hours in the day, right, so that we could squeeze in all the things that we still need to do? Author and theologian Walter Brueggemann, in his book, Sabbath as Resistance, says that by and large, contemporary Christians actually pay very little attention to the Sabbath, but others in society do. Even the most widely published atheist professor still insists on having his or her uh, sabbatical, right? That, that Sabbath leave that you take away from teaching. Judges who enforce our country's separation of church and state, uh, they don't hold court on Sundays. Wall Street and the stock market measures profits 24-7, but even they don't trade on the weekends. How is it that we Christians 
have a harder time with the Sabbath? Well, let's start by definitions. Uh, the word Sabbath comes from the uh, Jewish word Shabbat, which literally means to rest from labor or to cease from working. You'll find the word Sabbath 111 times in the Old Testament alone. Dr. Michael Fishbane, in his book, Sacred Attunement, a Jewish theology, notes that Sabbath sanctifies time by by, uh, sanctioned forms of rest and inaction. So we have certain activities that we do through our regular workaday lives. Well, uh, that's brought to a halt for one day. And instead of that, a whole host of ways of resting the body and the mind can be cultivated. Over time, he says, as we observe the Sabbath, we come to discover that the earth is a gift of divine creativity given to humankind in sacred trust. So is the Sabbath supposed to be observed on Saturdays or Sundays? Well, our Jewish brothers and sisters uh, hold a Shabbat, Sabbath, uh, from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. Uh, Western Christians over time have changed the Sabbath to Sunday in honor of Jesus' resurrection day. And honestly, I'm not going to get all that worked up over when one celebrates the Sabbath. That's, the day itself is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm more interested in what it means and how it can transform our lives in new ways. So we begin our sabbatical look in the Bible with the second book, the book of Exodus, chapter 20. If you want to grab the pew Bible in front of you, the red pew Bible, uh, or take out your phones and open up your Bible app or open up the church app, and there's a Bible link on the front page. Uh, We're going to be looking back at the Ten Commandments, Exodus, chapter 20. Now, just a little background, God has led the Hebrew people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, and with Moses' help, they've traveled across the Red Sea and through the desert, and they're at the base of Mount Sinai. And God says, I want a little one-on-one with you, Moses. Come on up. And when Moses makes it to the top, then God starts uh, dictating to him the Ten Commandments. Verse 1, chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So commandment number one is that God alone should be our focus. Nothing, no one else should get in the way of our uh, complete allegiance. Commandment two says, uh, if God is our focus, God doesn't need us making little figurines of him. Uh, People like to have things they could touch and see and put on their mantle place. None of that, God says. I will always be with you. You don't have to write down no graven images. Don't make any idols. Number three, God says, please keep my name holy. Thank you very much. So the first three commandments are all about our relationship with God. Now, if you jump to the end, the last six commandments are all about our relationship with others. Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet anything that your neighbor may have. And then the Sabbath is number four. And, and the fourth commandment, according to Dr. Sleeth, is like the fulcrum that bridges the two. It, that we, it connects us to God, but it also connects us with our neighbors. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day, God says, and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. Did you notice how inclusive this commandment is? 
It applies equally to men and women. It's for believers and those who don't. It encompasses the wealthy, the slave, even the illegal immigrant. It even covers animals and children. Pretty much all means all when it comes to the Sabbath. Everyone is given an opportunity to rest. It's also interesting that this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that begins with the word, remember. Why is that? I don't think it's because uh, remembering not to kill, steal, lie, or sleep around is important. It might be that God knew this was going to be the one that would be the easiest for us to let slide, to, to forget about in our lives. Before long, the Hebrew people would be done wandering in the wilderness. They'll move into the promised land, a land that would be abundant and prosperous. And as Walter Brueggemann says, prosperity breeds amnesia. We forget God when things are going well. And so God begins uh, commandment number four by calling the people to remember. It's easy to forget about God and our call to rest when we're living in abundance. And whether you feel like you have enough or not enough, compared to others in the world, we in the United States are living in abundance. But there, at the base of Mount Sinai, none of the people could forget where they had just been, how horrible their life had been under Pharaoh's rule in Egypt as slaves. Pharaoh was a harsh taskmaster. The Bible says that when the Hebrews complained about how hard their work was, Pharaoh made it even more hard for them. He demanded endless production, a way that was almost insatiable. There was no rest for the Hebrews as slaves, no rest for their supervisors, because they had to keep monitoring the endless work of the slaves, and even no rest for Pharaoh, who had to keep up on the various production levels every day. It was a system... Brueggemann says, of workaholism, and that was filled with anxiety as people were worried about whether they'd get everything done that they had to, and ultimately death. He writes, those who live by the death system are bound to dishonor their parents and all non-productive kin. They're bound to engage in killing violence because others become a threat. They're bound to reduce sexual interaction to exploitative commodity. They're bound to usurp from others if it's something they want. They're bound to engage in distortion and euphemism to gain advantage. And they're bound to be committed to acquisitiveness. But, says God, if you honor the Sabbath, if you remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, you won't need to do any of those hurtful things. Because you will have moved out of that system of exploitation that was so prevalent in Egypt. So, God calls Moses, uh, God calls the people through Moses to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. He says, don't, don't you remember, you were just about work to death in Egypt. Don't forget that. And that's not the way I created you. That's not the way I created any human being to be. In fact, that's not even the way that I operate myself, says God. Because there's one more caveat of commandment number four, and that's at verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. God's not one of those because I said so parents who just makes up a rule and says, because I said so, that's the way it can be. No, God gives us something that God himself actually observes. God practices what he preaches by living out the Sabbath. So to get the full power of this, we're going to turn back one more book of the Bible to the very first book, the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Did you know that there's two creation stories in the Bible? 
One creation story is the whole Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and the serpent and the tree and the forbidden fruit and the aftermath of that. That story begins in chapter 2, verse 4, and runs to the end of chapter 3. But then there's another story, the first creation story that begins in Genesis 1-1, when God speaks and the world comes into being. On day one, God creates, creates day and night. In day two, God creates waters and the sky. In day three, God creates plants and trees and land and fruit. On day four, God creates the sun, the moons, and the stars. On day five, God creates the fish and the sea creatures and the birds of the air. On day six, God creates the land animals and, last but not least, human beings. And then we get to day seven, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So according to the first creation story, up until now, God, uh, everything that had been created had been created out of nothing. God spoke it and came into being. Here now, God creates nothing out of something. And God adds rest to the week. The resting is considered by God to be holy. Let that sink into a minute. Resting is considered by God to be holy. God, the author and finisher of life, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe, that same God rested. From the very beginning of time, God made rest an intimate part of creation. That God actually stops. What an amazing statement about who God is and how God created the world. Why does God stop? Not because God's tired. No, God rests because God is holy. Therefore, rest becomes holy. Now, God could have done more. God could have powered through day seven and knocked a few more things off his to-do list. But instead, and make sure you hear this, God chose to stop. God refrained from doing more in order to do less. And the Bible says it was holy. It's easy to overlook something else about the Sabbath day. How many days were there in creation? Not six. Seven. Seven days. Seven days. God, God didn't create the world in six days. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested. So creation isn't over until you get to the end of day seven, God's rest day. And we'll, we'll suspend for a moment the question about, well, how long was one of God's days? I, I don't read the Bible as a scientific book. I'm not looking to find out the history of the world or that sort of thing. I read the Bible as giving me inspiration and faith. So, if there are seven days in creation, when was it that human beings were created? Do you remember? Day number six, right? At the very end, after the animals. So, if humans were created on day six, our first full day of life is day seven, which is God's rest day. So, what's the big deal, Pastor Jim, you might say? Well, if our first day of existence is the Sabbath day, then we don't begin by working through the week and then rest when we're tired. We begin, we were created to start from a place of rest. 
And when we rest and connect to God, that gives us the energy and the strength we need to go through the rest of the week and do what God's called us to do. It's not shop until you drop and then rest because you're exhausted. No, we begin out of that place of rest. And everything else flows forward. Do do you see the difference between that? I think it's a very important uh, observance to make. Why? Because God is not a workaholic. God knows that the well-being of creation doesn't depend on God's endless work. God is still creating, but God took a day off to rest. And we're invited to do the same. Walter Brueggemann reminds us that those who keep the Sabbath find they are less driven, less coerced, less frantic to meet deadlines, free to be rather than do, because the Sabbath is the great festival of freedom. When we fully embrace the Sabbath, we find that it affects not just that one day. It affects how we live out all seven of our days. Because the Sabbath can be transformational, friends. It's, it's indeed a day of faith. Because in order to rest, we must believe. We must believe that, that God will be able to keep the world going without us. That, that we can stop. And even though the things that are on our deadlines and to-do list, it'll still be there even after we take some time to rest and reconnect to the Holy One. God rested, who are we not to do the same? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, says the Lord. So next week, we'll look at how Jesus interacted and interpreted the Sabbath and how shocking that was to all the good religious people of his day. Until then, though, may we get excited about rediscovering the Sabbath. Who knows? God might just be leading us to a brand new promised land in our lives if we take the time to stop and rest and realize that is holy. Amen.